Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. Hope everyone's doing okay today. Hope you all brought your toilet paper. Yeah? No? Just me? I hope you didn't, actually. That'd be a little weird. This is, this is my object lesson for later, which I will get to. But I just want to introduce myself. For those who have not met me, I'm Carrie Burr. I'm one of the teachers here at Hope and would love to connect with you if we haven't met. If you're watching online, if you're not really ready to meet or connect in person yet, uh, we welcome you. And I hope you would also reach out to us. We'd love to connect with you over email or phone, however you'd like. Um, just want you to know we're all excited that you are here. And as Tom mentioned, we are starting a new series today. We, we just wrapped up the series on Ephesians. And man, we learned a lot in that series and we dove really deep into that book. So I hope that was encouraging for you. Um, This message series is gonna be a little bit more uh, like story driven. So we're gonna move away from some of the like super in-depth theology, but um, I am really feeling like this is an important time for us to be going through this this series um, on a journey. I feel like we can all relate somehow to this idea of being on a journey and different stages in our lives. We experience different things and meet God in different ways. And so I hope we're gonna see a little bit of that as we go through this today. Um, But I wanted to ask you guys a question leading into today's message. During the pandemic, or maybe even since the pandemic, what are some things you've had a hard time buying at the store? You can shout it out. Toilet paper is one. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Diapers. Okay. Cream cheese. I know. That's a, I actually thought about that one. Oh, it's <laughs> cat food. Yes. All right. So there's a lot of things, sometimes kind of bizarre things that we have not been able to find. I admit that I did have to look up some cream cheese like substitute so I could make my recipe when I didn't have the cream cheese. Um, You kind of walk into the store sometimes and you're like, "Ah, oh my goodness, where'd it go? Um, Although for someone like me who like, sometimes too many options are a bad thing. So sometimes I'm like, well, well, fewer things to pick from. It's easier for me to know what I want. Anyway, but yes, one of the things that we were running low on, especially in the height of the pandemic, was toilet paper. And it's interesting because, you know, man, we, we got to the point where I was looking back through, they were like, people were stealing toilet paper. People had to like chain toilet paper to the dispensers. I looked at a video this week of women in Australia who were in a, literally in a physical altercation over toilet paper rolls. Um, and it's, it's sad in some weird way, but you know, it's interesting. Like if we were, if you were to ask me before the pandemic, if you would have said, you know, this is what's going to happen, I'd be like, no way, no way is there going to come a time in my life where I would sell my spleen on the black market to get a roll of toilet paper. But then, but then we experience this season of lack. And lack has a way of producing something in us, doesn't it? The feeling that we're running out of something, the feeling that we've entered into a crisis, it produces a certain reaction in us. And maybe... As Leanne alluded to today, we look around at the world again now and we feel that sense again. It's this crisis, this what's happening. It's this uncertainty. It's this feeling of running out. 
And I want us to pay attention as we go through today's message to that feeling we get in the middle of, react- of crisis, that reaction that we have to crisis. We're gonna be looking today at a story that many of you maybe already know well, but it's the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and they are in the middle of their own crisis. And maybe we'll see ourselves reflected a little bit in their story. So this story that we're gonna talk about occurs directly after the Israelites are, God brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're not quite yet in the promised land, but they are, they're in the wilderness. So we're gonna jump into Exodus 16, starting in verse two, and you can listen, feel free to just listen if you want or read along with me. Here we go. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And you hear, you hear in their voice, almost like, it's almost like Moses' kids. You know, like if you have kids and your kids are like, you never want anything good for me. You just, you want me to be miserable. That's why you don't do anything good. You hear a little bit of that in, in what they're saying. They're, they're really upset and they have this manipulative tone in the way they're approaching Moses. And interestingly too, the, the passage says that they grumbled against Moses. And my Bible commentary says that grumbling was the Israelites' default reaction to crisis in the wilderness. That was their default reaction. It comes up over and over again. Um, and so I want us to be, again, again, be paying attention to our own default reaction to crisis as we go through this. Verse four says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Uh, So God says, I'm gonna give you this this bread from heaven. It's gonna be a daily provision. And you'll notice that he says six days they're to gather food. And that's because on the seventh day, God commanded the people to celebrate a Sabbath, a time of rest, a time to worship him. And so God provides for them, and he intentionally provides twice as much on the sixth day. So on the seventh day, they can rest. They don't have to go out and strive and gather and work. Um, So that's part of what God was doing there. So verse six says, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Another pause here. I, I see somewhat in, in the Israelites' reaction. Um, if, you're, if they're like me, I, when I am stressed, when I am overwhelmed by a medical issue or something else going on in my life, I tend to take things out on everyone else around me, even though they're not the root problem, right? Maybe you can relate. And I think Moses is kind of gently saying here, maybe not so gently, your your complaint is not really with me. The person you're grumbling against is God. And that's where you need to bring this to. That's who you need to go to with this. Verse nine, then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire assembly, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing 
in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And so the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they needed. I'm going to skip ahead because verses 19 through 30 are mostly about the Israelites not listening to God. And much the way that we did during the pandemic and hoarded our toilet paper, there were some Israelites who decided to hoard the manna. And I'll let you read for yourself what happens when they do that. But we'll skip ahead to verse 31 here and wrap up this story. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. Keep this for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law, the Ten Commandments, so that it might be preserved The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So let's look a little bit at this story. And for context, once again, this this is kind of a middle season for the Israelites. And I like to say we're, we're all in a middle season, right? We have a clear beginning when we're born, then there's a time we know we die, but but. Every other point in our lives, we're sort of in this middle season. We're leaving behind something from the past, whether it's middle school or singleness or whatever it is, and we're entering into the next season. And so we find the Israelites on their way to Canaan, to the promised land that God told them he would give them. And yet they're leaving behind this this season of slavery that God had just brought them out of. And what's interesting is that God had just done all these crazy miracles for them, bringing them out of Egypt. Like just literally two chapters before this, we're seeing what God is doing, the the signs and wonders and the plagues on Egypt and the, the way that he splits the sea so they can walk on dry land. In fact, we sing a song today at church, the, um, or still today, I should say, um, that song, I am a child of God. And we sing about how God split the sea so we can walk through it. We still praise God for that miracle. And the Israelites had just finished singing and worshiping with Moses and Miriam over that very same miracle. And yet here they are, two chapters later, and another crisis hits, and they have another fearful reaction. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the the feeling that sometimes something good happens and you feel like you see God's hand and you think you, you feel like the sense of faithfulness growing in you? This, this faith and this hope. And then just sometimes not even a week later, something else hits you and you think, oh my gosh, whoa, here I am again. I'm struggling to trust. I'm struggling in this crisis. 
What is your default reaction to crisis? It could be different for everyone, right? Some people might have that sense of anger and, and grumbling and complaining. Maybe for others, it's, it's a pervasive sense of anxiety. You can't even control it. You just feel like, man, it's just there. I don't know what to do with it. For some of us, it's, it's hiding, numbing. We're like, can I just denial? Can I just like slow walk away from this and pretend it's not happening? Maybe that's your reaction. And listen, I am not here today to get onto you about what your reaction is in crisis. I'm not here today to tell you the four ways that, that your reaction is wrong and why you should be a better person. No, no, because you know what? I think so often we miss the fact that we are on this journey with God and we, our whole lives are walking with him and we will not be complete or perfect until we are with him finally. And I think we, we sometimes hear messages on Sunday or maybe a podcast in the week and we, we hear people telling us that, you know, ways to be faithful and less selfish and more patient. And we know that God wants to grow those things in us, but sometimes we don't realize that we turn those things into this destination and we forget that God is working with us in the process, in the journey, in the mess of where we are right now. In fact, God can only meet us right where we are, right now, in these honest emotions. A friend of mine actually just gave me this book called Seasons of Your Heart by Macrina Whitaker. I may be mispronouncing that. And she talks about this. She says, the healing needs to happen right there in the broken places because it is there that I am vulnerable. She says this, it is there in that crack in my spirit that the light of Christ can slip through and help me understand the wound. Guys, sometimes I think we wanna get through the, the, what we consider the wrong emotion or the wrong reaction. We wanna get past it so quickly so we can be where we think God wants us to be. And God says, you gotta be honest with me. You've gotta bring me that raw and honest emotion because it's there that I am going to meet you. Instead of bashing ourselves for that, let's pay attention to our reaction in crisis and loss because maybe it's gonna teach us something about God's heart for us. Maybe it's gonna lead us further into God's process for us. And maybe we can see a little bit of that mirrored in the Israelites and their crisis reaction and we can see how God shows up for them. So what are some things that we can see from this story that we just read about the Israelites? The first thing that kind of pops out to me is that sometimes God's provision looks like a problem at first. Sometimes God's provision actually looks like a problem at first. So I, we look at the story of the Israelites and, and we can see God's hand bringing them out of slavery and out of, out of bondage. And this is an incredible moment and we're excited, right? But the truth is that God brings the Israelites out of slavery and into scarcity. He allows them to go out of slavery, but into what feels like scarcity. And you'll notice that it's God, God shows his faithfulness in this one way, and yet immediately they encounter another need for God. We sang that song today, God, God, I need you, I need you every hour. And man, I think that's part of what God wants to show us is, is that you don't just need me once and then it's all done. You need me every step of the way. I think sometimes in the new problems, 
we have new opportunities to see God's faithfulness. He keeps leading us into places where we have to trust him in new ways. We see this repeatedly in this, in this message here. God says, then they will know. Then they will know that I'm the God who brought them out of Egypt. The same God who brought you out of Egypt is the same God that will provide for you here. Even, their, um, even God's provision, which we see, he gives them daily bread. And I think, it's, I think it's poetic even that within God's provision, he's providing another opportunity for them to trust. I'm not gonna give you canned manna that you're gonna stick on your shelf and save for months. No, you've got to trust me every day to go out and trust that I'm going to keep giving you over and over and over a provision. And it's almost this idea that, that he has to grow our muscle, a faith muscle. And God knows it's not going to happen overnight. We're not going to wake up one day and be buff the way we want to. I wish, right? But it's going to happen daily through that regular opportunity to trust in him. And so sometimes those problems are actually opportunities for us to see God's faithfulness. And then we see at the end of the journey, if you notice at the very end of the chapter, they ate the manna for 40 years and then they reached the edge of Canaan and Canaan is the promised land. Canaan is the land where, where God was leading them into. But if you notice, the edge of Canaan is where the manna runs out. That's where the manna runs out. And so God brought them out of slavery and into scarcity. And then he brings them out of comfortable and into a conflict. Um, there's a, a woman I heard speak once. Her name is Reba Bowman. And she talks about how we like to think of the promised land as this exciting new season. Like, like that's the end of the journey. They made it, hurrah, end of story, happy ending. But Reba Bowman says, that promised land was actually the site of the battle. The promised land was the site of the battle. In other words, God was saying, you've made it to the promised land. Now you need to actively participate with me in taking over this land. It wasn't going to be easy. God was gonna fight with them, but they needed to actively step into that season. And so again, we see the drying up of the manna and it might initially look like a problem in this transition seasons, again, often we see the problem before we see God's provision. And I have to ask you, why do you think God would allow the manna to dry up? Let me ask maybe uh, parents of adult children. Assuming your children have moved out of your home, um, what is it that you did to enable your children to move out? No, seriously, I really, I, I need to know because... <laughs> Because I have at least one who I think is planning to stay, you know, well into his 40s. Um, what do you do if you want your children to eventually move out of your home or go to college or, or step into the next season of independence? Do you keep, uh, you know, cutting the, the crust off their PB&Js? Are you doing their laundry and folding it neatly? And are you can keep giving them an allowance and, you know, helping them with their homework, doing it all for them? Again, I assume if they've moved out, then probably no. Probably at some point you decided, I'm gonna show some tough love here. Um, I'm not gonna keep doing all the things that I used to do for my kids in that season when they were younger. Is that because you don't love them? No, 
It's because you envision a better season for them. You envision them stepping out into a new stage of their lives that's going to be amazing for them. And you know it's gonna cost them. You know it's gonna be hard. And we don't like to see our kids struggle, we don't. And it's gonna maybe cost you too because as much as we wanna see our kids move out, we know it's, it's hard, it's hard to see them go. And yet we let them go through that struggle because we want them to get to a place where they're just uncomfortable enough that they don't wanna stay here forever because there is something better for them. In the same way, our father is like a good parent who says, I don't want you to stay here forever. Sometimes I'm gonna bring you to a place that feels painful or, or like loss or uncertainty because I want to help you move. I wanna help you to step out into the next stage. Maybe you can even look back at your life and see this. You know, um, Bill Shrin spoke a couple weeks ago about the same idea. He talked about Jacob wrestling with God and how God wanted to move Jacob's character. He didn't want God, uh, Jacob to stay deceitful. But in order to change his character, it didn't happen overnight. God allowed him to go through a season of pain, a season of discomfort to prepare him for what he was doing. In the same way, I think we can look back maybe at our previous seasons and we can see sometimes in retrospect how God was using difficult times in our lives to bring us to a new thing. So think about your life for a minute here. Maybe some difficult places for you. Maybe for you it was a painful divorce and I'm not saying that God was creating problems for you. I don't wanna, I don't wanna pretend like God is, is the origin or creator of those things. But maybe, maybe you've gone through something painful like divorce and, and coming out of that you said, man, God showed me at some point this part of myself that I had buried and hidden that I was afraid to see and God has, has allowed me now to step into a fuller sense of who I am and the season of embracing what, maybe what was being buried for so long. Maybe you are in middle school or elementary school and the pandemic was hard for you. Maybe it was a lonely time. And maybe because you went through that loneliness, maybe now when you're at school, you see, you recognize that person in the corner that doesn't have anyone to sit with them. That person who also looks like they're alone and needs a friend. And maybe that time has prepared you for God to, to use you in someone else's life. Or even maybe you were lonely and you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step out and try a new club, try theater, try this, this other um, hobby. And so that, that period that felt like pain kind of pushed you in a weird way to do something that now you can't imagine your life without. Sometimes God is using those, even those painful things in our lives to develop our character, to give us eyes to see something we otherwise would not have seen. And sometimes I think God is using the, the difficult or the uncomfortable or the tension to bring us to a place of holy discontent. Now, what do I mean by that? What, you know, if we have regular discontent, I feel like it's this, um, this sense that, oh, I can never be satisfied. I just never quite have enough. I'm never gonna be happy no matter how good things get. But a holy discontent is different. A holy discontent is when God says, the reason that you feel like something is not right, the reason you feel like you want more is because this is not really what I, was, what I made you for. This is not really how I designed the world to work. And in these places of holy discontent, God is saying, I want you to be part of the change in the world. 
I want you to help bridge the gap between the way things are and the way things should exist in my kingdom. And maybe he's allowing you to live in that discomfort because he wants you to step into his heart. Sometimes that discomfort can actually be a gift. So again, maybe you look around at your life and maybe, maybe in the last season you were like, you know, you didn't really have a lot of questions, not a lot of doubts. You were just happy. Everything was good. And maybe in this season, suddenly you have a lot more questions. You have a lot more concerns. Maybe you're looking around and you're seeing the way that, that people of a different race, a di- different sexual identity, a different gender, you're seeing the way people are treated and you say, man, I am not comfortable with this anymore. Something here does not sit right with me. And maybe God is saying, that's because I need you to step out and be love and be light and, and to find people who are marginalized. And what does that look like? Maybe you're uncomfortable because I'm, I'm pushing you out. Or maybe it's a growing discomfort over poverty and inequality and even looking at different countries and saying, man, Ukraine or Ethiopia or Belize, which by the way, the, the GLOW team right now is actually planning a trip to Belize um, that you can sign up for and you can talk to, talk to Bill about that. Um, maybe the reason you feel that discomfort is because God wants you to take a trip or to give in some way or to, to help in some way that you can to make a change, to be a light. And so that discomfort, that tension is actually pressing you into God's heart in a new way. As we repeatedly face these, these feelings of discomfort or uncertainty or tension or our crisis reaction, we begin to hold our response open to God and say, what do you wanna do here? What do you wanna do here? What are you trying to help me to see and even when we can't see the purpose, my friends reminded me this week, sometimes we don't, sometimes we can't see the purpose in the, in the difficult things that are going on in our lives right now. That's okay. But not, if nothing else, we say, God, please meet me here. Please may I know your presence. And that, I believe, is the second thing we see here, that God's provision ultimately is himself. Ultimately, God's provision to us is his presence. To be honest, one of the best things for me about going on a trip, a road trip, for instance, is not just the destination. It's not just where we're going, but it's who I'm with. It's getting to, to see things with people and experience that with someone else um, and, and to have an opportunity to get to know someone better. Now, my husband would probably disagree. When we go on long road trips, I like to just talk, 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 talk. And he's like, are we done yet? Okay, put some music on. Uh, but I really like to get to know people. And in fact, I laugh because, again, I, I'm such a talker. I'm, su- you know, surprise, surprise. Um, but my siblings, if you know my siblings, they are not quite as talkative as I am. And I sometimes get annoyed with them because they will take forever to share even really important news with me. So there was one road trip I took with my sister, and we were in the car for at least three hours. And then she casually mentions to me, oh, by the way, I'm engaged. I was like, my gosh, if this happened to me, I would have called you while it was happening. My gosh, he's, he's proposing, it's happening now. And here she is, and we, we take three hours for her to get this out. But, um, but there's something about going on a trip with someone where you can find out about them. You learn something new about them. And in the same way, God is on this journey with us, and he's not just interested in us becoming more moral and, 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 and holy. And, and yes, he wants that, but he wants us to know him in the journey, in the process. 
And not only is God with us, but he's our guide because he knows the journey. He knows the path even when we can't see it. You know, it was not a surprise to God that the Israelites were enslaved for hundreds of years. He, he actually told Abraham that his, that his descendants would be in slavery long before it happened. And he wasn't surprised that the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And he's not surprised by anything that is happening in our lives today because God sees the path long before we do. In each season, God takes us somewhere that we have not been. In each season, God takes us somewhere that we have not been and he's teaching us to trust him, not for yesterday's circumstances, but for today's. I love the imagery in Isaiah 42, 16 that says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. And it's interesting because I tend to think of uncertainty as a scary thing and a bad thing. And like, please, God, don't take me into uncertainty. But there's this sense I, I feel when I read this passage that it's an adventure with God. And he's like, I'm taking you somewhere you don't know. Almost like a surprise party. Close your eyes. I'm, I'm taking you and we're going to get there and you're going to love where we end up. Maybe teenagers in here have played a game that I know, I know back in high school, youth group, that, where you have to be blindfolded and someone else gets to give you directions to walk around the room. And you really hope that the person's not a jerk and doesn't like intentionally make you trip over the table and impale yourself on a pencil, right? But you feel kind of helpless because you don't know where you're going and it feels like darkness to you. And I think in the same way, God's like, okay, I'm not just gonna give you directions. I'm actually gonna walk with you. I'm gonna hold your hand. And I'm gonna guide you in this path in this way that you have not known. And I want you to trust me because I see the whole picture even when you can't. And sometimes you're gonna end up in a place that feels like emptiness, that feels like loss, that feels like scarcity. But I want you to learn to trust in me. God wants us to learn to trust in him even more than the provision. In fact, I think maybe that's another reason why God changes things up a little bit, why God doesn't always provide the same thing for us in new seasons, because not only do we need to rely on him for different things in different seasons, but I think God's like, you know what? I want you to learn that I'm gonna work in new ways and that you are not meant to trust in the provision itself. You're always meant to trust in me. I think, I think one of the things that stood out to me this time when I read this chapter was that God actually tells the Israelites like 40 years before the manna dries up, he says to them, save some of this for future generations. Save some of this miracle for future generations, which should have been a clue to them that the manna was not gonna last forever. And why does God want them to save some? It's, it's not because, I don't think it's because he wants future Israelites to pray for more manna. No, he's, he's saying, I want your, your descendants, your children to see how I worked in the past so they trust me in the future to work in their circumstances in a new way for a new thing because ultimately I'm the provision. I am the one that you're trusting in. We can't know what God will do in the future but we can look back on the provision of the last season and sometimes that reminds us how God might be working today, even though it's gonna be different. And if we look even back at the pandemic, 
You know, I was just talking to, uh, to Tom this week and looking back, back before the pandemic, man, the things that sustained us before the pandemic were so different. The things that maybe we, we, we didn't realize how few cares we had at that time. And the provision that we had in that season is not sufficient for this new season. God, God is, is teaching us to rely on him for new things in new ways because we haven't been here before. We haven't been this way before, but he knows the way. Our relationships have shifted. We've battled with anxiety. We've, we've, we've found the things we used to rely on just don't fill us the way they used to. And we can have this sense of, I just wish I could go back to before COVID, kind of like the Israelites said, I just want to go back to, to slavery. We don't really want to go back. We don't really want to go back. God wants to show us himself in a new season. And you know, it's going to be hard. And I don't want to pretend that, that, I don't want us to just leave here today thinking, oh, just put a positive spin on what you're going through and everything's going to be fine. No, no, that the things we go through are difficult for a reason. And like I said before, we do not need to bash ourselves over the head for those emotions that we have. But here in this discomfort, we have a decision to make. We can kind of ignore this feeling. We can live in denial and we can kind of wish things were the way they used to be. Or we can idolize the manna. We can idolize the, the provision in the previous season and say, God, where are you? Why can't you do that thing again? Or we can trust that each season of faithfulness, each time God gives us manna or gives us a provision is another reminder of his faithfulness, another reminder that he can work in even what looks like a problem to produce his provision. Next week, I'm gonna be talking a little bit about what it looks like to step boldly into what God's calling us to, to see the, the, the hand of God and his faithfulness in our lives and use that as kind of a springboard to step into what he's calling us to. But for today, I just want us to sit for a minute, to sit in this feeling of crisis mode. Maybe, maybe that feeling we got initially when the toilet paper was running out or the cream cheese or the, the feeling we got on a more um, serious note of, of hearing about the war in Ukraine or the crisis we may be facing in our personal lives and our families. And as hard as it may be for you, I want you just to sit for a moment in that emotion, in that feeling that you have, that you brought in with you today when you came in. God sees you and he sees where you're at and he does not need you to be over here in a better place in order for him to meet with you. He wants to meet you right here where you are. And my prayer would be that we would start to hold out our hands to God and say, this is where I am. And God, these are the cracks. These are the cracks, the broken places. Please meet me here. And I wanna just kind of share with you too this, a different way to ask a question to God as we ask him to meet us. Because I had a friend told me recently, often we wanna ask God, okay, what do you want me to do? This is how I'm feeling. What do you want me to do? And kind of the, the idea that we sometimes have is that, that idea of, okay, I've gotta get myself over here. I've gotta, I gotta fix myself. I've gotta make a to-do list. God, what do you want me to do? And she said, instead of asking God, what do you want me to do? What if we flip it and say, God, what are you inviting me into? What are you inviting me into? Because I haven't been this way before, but you see, and this is an adventure. 
and it's gonna be scary and it's gonna be rough and I know that I'm not always gonna understand it, but God is inviting us into an adventure with him. And he wants to keep showing his faithfulness to you and me over and over again. Let's pray. God, I know that everyone in this room has something that they're carrying, maybe something that they have not been honest with themselves about or even honest with anyone else or you, but there's something that we've brought in here, our, our human reaction, and maybe we're afraid to say it, but God, I pray that today we would come to a place where we trust you enough to hold our broken emotions, where we trust you enough to hold us when we aren't sure what we're doing. And God, I pray over every person in this room, over the fear, over the anxiety, over the anger, over the disillusionment, over the doubt. God, please meet us in those places. May we know you in a new way because of those emotions, not, not in spite of them. And God, I pray that for each person, wherever we feel a tension, a discomfort, Lord, would you show us the adventure that you're inviting us into? And would you lead us out this week knowing that you're, you're walking with us in this journey and you will not forsake us? Thank you, God. Amen.